welcome to the Benito Juarez experience. I am Juan Navarro Rivera along with Luciano Gonzalez. Today we are having a really interesting episode, or at least I think so, and it's Counting Atheists. Two articles were recently wrote about the same study that came out in Psychology, Psychology Archive. It's what by Wilger Fais and Maxine Nashville. I hope that I'm pronouncing her name uh, all right. They're at the University of Kentucky. And uh, Gervais is a, is a psychologist. I actually saw him one of his presentations uh, once uh, talking about, does a lot of stuff, research on atheism and sort of what you know, perceptions of atheists. Uh, especially in the United States. And the two pieces were won by in 538.com by Daniel Cox, who is my former colleague and the director of research at Public Religion Research Institute. And the other was in Pacific Standard Magazine that basically looked at what it, who, how many atheists are in the United States. And that's a bit, this is being a big question four years. Actually, this piece was written by Tom Jacobs uh, around the same time that Dan wrote this piece uh, for 538. And basically, both both look at uh, the results of the study. And before I got into the results of the study, one of the big questions in the United States has been, like, how many atheists are out there? Uh, we know that the secular population, non-religious population, has been growing. Now it's about a quarter of the population. Back in the 1990s was less than one in 10. But how many of those are atheists? A lot of the research has been inconclusive or has been contradictory. You usually get a lot of different results. One of the things that I thought was interesting about the two articles, which are very different, I thought that it was interesting that they're trying to assign the way that I'm reading it is that they're trying to assign the label atheists onto people. And that's, that's something that's a little bit concerning, at the very least in conversations that I've had with atheists. As an atheist myself, a lot of us are very worried. Uh, we have conversations around this topic. I don't know if your circle do, but we, we do have to wonder if we can arbitrarily assign the label atheist to someone or if they have to take it on themselves. I'm of the camp that it's probably better if people realize that they themselves are atheists, even if they fit the dictionary definition, but not everyone who lacks a belief in God or in God realizes that that's what being an atheist is. When I was reading the articles, I was reminded of the Neil deGrasse Tyson quote, where he said that there's lots of baggage that comes with being an atheist, there's something along those lines. He was talking about how he's not an atheist, and it was like about active atheism. I have a feeling that's one of the things that we should probably talk about when it comes to these studies. So I think that's very important. And one of the interesting ways in which the, the Gervais and Nagel article actually measures atheism is they do these what what is called a survey experiment and they did a survey online and so they read so basically you split the sample. 
So what you do is, in this case, they did a sample of 2,000 people. They interviewed 2,000 people. Uh, if we go into basics of surveys, it's supposed to be, or at least you make the assumption, uh, and you do the sampling so it's nationally representative, and then you split the sample. The first sample got a, which is the control group, got a list of nine statements, uh, which were innocuous statements like I own a dog or I'm a vegetarian. Uh, and then the test group or basic or the experimental group received an additional one which said I do not believe in God. So it didn't use the word atheist, it basically said that you know you were a non believer. Mm -hmm. And so basically at the end of the day what happens is that people are asked how many of those statements do you uh, agree with? And then you look at the averages of both groups, and basically what you're going to, if, if you see that, you know, the differences between those groups tells you how many people believe or, or you know, believe in that thing. Uh, basically, it's true to them that they do not believe in God. And so basically, they basically conclude that about a quarter of Americans do do not believe in God or likely do not believe in God. Yeah, that has been that that is a very uh, when I was at PRI we did those sorts of experiments with other uh in other topics, uh we didn't come up with that. But one sort of natural experiment that we did around that time, uh when I was with them in I think twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen was that we had done a national survey and then we were going to do a callback. And so one of the things we did was change the religion question uh, that we asked in the initial survey. And when you, know, you get a callback survey, what you do is you basically, a lot of the demographic information, you already have it, so you don't have to repeat it. Uh, we did some demographic information just to make sure we were talking to the same person. Uh, but the one that we also included was the religion one, but we changed it slightly. Uh, to see if, if if more people were identified as atheists, and I'll, I'll link to the report. Uh, but you know, a few things that came out in uh, from from that particular piece, which Dan Cox in his piece actually alludes to, uh, is the fact that people don't have warm feelings toward atheists, and that includes a lot of non-religious people. So we did research in terms of how many people, we did this, what, what is called the feeling thermometer, from in, in a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is cold and 100 is warm, uh, you feel toward this particular group. Uh, and uh, even among people who are not religious, they were colder toward atheists than uh, people who, who identified as non-religious. And by that I mean that we asked, we split sample and we asked half the sample how they felt about the non-religious and have the sample how they felt about atheists and people were warmer toward non-religious than toward atheists and that included people who identified as not, as not religious. There's a lot of stigma to the concept and it's not surprising why so few people use the word atheist to identify themselves. I think that it makes sense. The Daniel Cox article had a really strong part in it where uh, it talks about a reporter, a reporter with the Telegraph writing from rural Virginia um, was speaking to people 
was just speaking to people, and there was a quote that said, the stakes are high, said a Virginia Tech graduate who was raised Christian but is not an atheist. Do I want to be supported by my friends and family, or am I going to risk being kicked out of clubs and organizations? It's tempting just to avoid the whole issue. And that's something that's extremely important because there are people who know and identify as being not only non-religious, but also boldly identify as being an atheist. I remember um, there, was a, there was a relatively recent case where a woman was murdered because she said that her, the person who murdered her was a Christian who was under the impression that she was a non-believer. And this happened in the United States. I can't remember if it happened at the beginning of this year or at the beginning of the last year but it involved a woman named Crystal and another woman named Anita, Anitra. And that was within the past two years. Someone in this country was murdered for being an atheist. Lots of people don't understand that discrimination against atheists still exists. I think there's a, an, another reason. It's, it's not just that in terms of the stigma that certainly there is to the to the concept, but also surveys that you know measure religion in very different ways. And when about it de- depends on the survey, but I would say it between three, maybe five, seven percent now, uh, given the size of the of the secular population overall, identify as atheists. But that varies between surveys, and, and one of the clear examples was the differences between the Pew survey in 2007 that was a national poll, and then the the one I work on, uh, the American Religious Identification Survey in 2008. And their methodology had a lot to do with uh, how people, you know, the, number, the percentage of atheists in the country. Pew had a slightly higher percentage but it is because in their questionnaire, they ask people uh, directly, well, you know, what is your religion, if any? Uh, and then they give you a list of religions, including atheist, agnostic, and nothing in particular as options. In the case of the Irish survey, it was actually an open-ended question. So the people who said atheist was much smaller because they weren't giving any options. They were just stating what they were uh, verbatim. So there's also other reasons why sometimes the surveys that give different, uh, get different results because they have different methodologies. Uh, in the case of the, the, the PRI studies that we did, uh, we, we, to some extent, like we, we did some variation of, of the Pew question. We, we included atheism as, as an option. But also in that, you know, as part of our, our callbacks, we also asked a question about belief. And basically what we found is that people who don't believe in God, they actually have, there's a much higher percentage of people who don't believe in God in the United States than people who identify as atheists. Uh, which has to do with the stigma, but also uh, it also tells you uh, there's a lot of basically you know, there was religious people who say that they don't believe in God, and I'm not talking about non-theistic uh, religions, but you know Christians or at least people in Christian denominations 
who don't believe in God, but also don't feel probably safe enough to say that they're not religious or they just go to church for, you know, some social reason. Uh, and then the question is like, so what does it mean to be an atheist uh, if you go to church and you have a religion? Well, one of the things, one of the things that I feel like probably important that we mention is that there, there are a group. Um, they've been somewhat informally dubbed Christian atheists. They're a group of people who are who identify as culturally Christian. They were raised in Christian backgrounds, and they are non-believers. And they probably don't get as much discussion as they deserve, especially from Christians. I know plenty of atheists who talk about them, who write about them, but I don't know many Christian writers who actually take the time to mention that this is a faction that exists. I understand that in the Jewish community, there's also uh, there are also a community of people who are culturally Jewish, but they don't have any of the religious beliefs. They're just culturally Jewish. And it's important that if we're going to be talking about atheists and we're going to be trying to identify the number of people who are actually non-believers, we include these individuals in our statements. Yes, that I think that is a very good point, and that. Uh, because I'm, you know, because I have to do this, I'm going to talk about politics. That reminds me of that the first, or at least the first recent openly atheist politician, uh, which was uh, Pete Stark, the representative Pete Stark uh, from California, former representative Pete Stark from California. So there's a report every two years when every Congress is. When, when every Congress starts, uh, you know, in every odd year, every two odd years, uh, that it's called Faith on the Hill, and it's yeah. basically a, a, the Pew Research Center releases this report on Faith on the Hill, in which gives the the, the the religious composition of members of Congress. Now, there hasn't been and there has never been an atheist member of Congress since they have done those reports. There have been a few legislators who have failed or refused to state a religious affiliation, not surprisingly, all the ones I remember are Democrats. I may be missing a Republican here and there, but most of the people who who don't use a religious identification are Democrats in the survey, but no atheists. Now, even though P. Stark was openly atheist, or at least he stated that he was openly atheist, he still went to a Unitarian church. And thus, he was, he was not in the demographic list of Congress listed as an atheist because he was a Unitarian. Of course, if, if you're familiar with many Unitarian churches, uh, the line between a Unitarian and an atheist, and many, many Unitarian congregations are not, uh, you know, are not theistic, uh, you would you would know that you would understand that concept, but if you you are a person who who you know doesn't know a lot about religion other than what you read, or, or your familiarity with religion mostly has to do with the Jerry Falwells and Pat Robertsons of the world, and not these very nuanced uh, worldviews that you know Unitarians have. Uh, then you would you know it, it gets lost, and you would think that. Literally, there, no, there were no atheists in Congress when, in reality, at least one was 
explicit about it. I think that it's probably, I'm sure the intense pressures of being in Congress probably make people not want to be open about their atheism, but it's it's always weird to try and hear and try to make sense of all of the people who talk about atheism and politics, and not in the sense that like we're coming at it, but in the sense of being an atheist and also being a politician. Now there are more atheists who are politicians who are getting more interested in politics. Um, on the local level in several states, there are atheist politicians, and we also know atheists who are running for office on the national level, I believe. Is Aaron Raw running on the national level or on the... No, he's running for the... That's the state senate. Ah, so he's not running as a Texas senator. Darn. No, he's, he's not challenging Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. But no, I think that's a very important point you mentioned. Uh, and and I, I think uh, Barney Frank. And I, I mentioned Barney Frank in an earlier show uh, in the sense that uh, Barney Frank said that he was an atheist after he left office. And Barney Frank represented probably one of the places where it was safest to be an atheist, right? Like, you know, the, the Boston area, uh, which has a bunch of universities, highly educated uh, constituencies. And Barney Frank was, if I'm not wrong, the first openly gay member of Congress. So even for a guy who was courageous enough to be the first openly gay member of Congress, being an atheist, even in that district, was uh, you know was a was a step too far. Now and again, but an interesting going back to one of the points you mentioned before, Barney Frank, in the surveys of uh, of the Hill, uh, the Faith on the Hill surveys, Jewish. So it was a secular Jew who was basically representing uh, this district for almost 30 years. Yeah, and other other state level, and not quite state in the case of Puerto Rico, which I'm going to mention very briefly, um, politicians who are non-believers are people like Athena Salmon, who is an Arizona member, who is a member of the Arizona House of Representatives. Uh, she is a... She is a religious, I can't remember what the exact words that she used were. And, of course, there's Puerto Rico, where there is Alexandra Lugaro. And we previously recorded an episode where we talked about Puerto Rico and how they have theocratic things going on, which will be, it's obviously going to be coming out before this episode. But there are, there are atheist politicians. It's just that we aren't used to seeing them on the national level. Usually these are, as we've spent a few minutes talking about now, people who are in safe, relatively, air, they're in safe districts where they can be openly irreligious. And it really sucks that that's the case. So that's just one example of the pressure that atheists are under and how we are disenfranchised as a whole. Absolutely. I want to harken back a little bit into the moving a little, a little away from politics, although I'd love to do that. Uh, at the larger societal level, uh, and one thing that at least I'm, I'm reading at the article, and it, it doesn't, you know, the, the revised and national article, which is not clear to me, it's also, you know, the, the racial uh, composition of these, uh, you know, these 
26% atheist American because I would assume that a lot of that bump in the number of atheists has to do with a lot of people of color kind of it's harder for many people in the Latino and African American communities uh, where to some extent churches are important social and cultural centers to admit uh, their atheism uh, and that's one of the reasons I when when I when I talk about particularly Latino atheism, I, I, I want to emphasize the the fact that you know people have the, he, these stereotypes about Latinos in terms of being very religious, but in fact Latinos are pretty secular in their day to day lives, and but you know, also are surrounded by religious people, and so there there's this pressure one in which you don't really know other. Re- other atheists, or at least other non-religious people, and so you you just keep it you you just keep that to yourself. You know these surveys may come out, and you you don't really you know you probably say that you're a Catholic even though you don't really uh, believe in any of that, or you say that you're evangelical and you know you don't really believe in any of that. But also at the same time you have to think to the extent that you have this network of people that you love uh, and that you like, and it's admitting this atheism a larger, you know, more important than, you know, being able to go to mom's house and uh, every weekend and have some decent. I feel like one of the things, I agree with what you just said. It's an extremely important point. But I feel like one of the things that it's also not taking into consideration, and when it comes to blind statistics, it's hard to take into consideration. But people need to consider the impact of the social services provided by churches. Churches are, especially when it comes to Latinos more than any other group, churches provide sanctuary, and they actually do provide very real services for Latin Americans. And additionally, Something that Latin Americans, in my experience, can always count on when they move to a new area is even if they are well-off financially, they have homes, they don't need any of the assistance from the churches, they can always count on the churches being a communal gathering spot. This is not only just going on in polling, but it's also going on in real life. If Latinos want to build communities, they can just go to churches. I remember when I first came to UNCG, one of the first things that I wanted to do was I wanted to go to a church to see other Latinos. That is so that that is so important because I, and I know people who are secular minded that you know they may be you know they you know they don't necessarily have to be immigrants they don't necessarily have to be but if you're in a new community and you're trying to find Latinos that is the place where you're going to go. Uh, you're going to find the you know where's the closest Catholic church. Oh, or, you know, where's the place where they do mass or services in Spanish? And it's also an important aspect in terms of institutions, and this is something that I have talked in some of my my research, which is the importance of, you know, when we think about Latinos as Catholic, although that has happened, you know, that there's a, there's a lot of variation in, in, in Latino religious identification, but Let's stay with the Catholicism because there's an important point in there, which is an institutional point, which is the fact that the Catholic Church is a global institution 
and has been so important in Latin American culture, politics, and society that when you, you know, when you migrate from one place to an, you know, from one country to another, and talking specifically about immigrants, like that's the place you know where you're gonna find people. One, it's gonna be, you know, the, your relatives or your friends from from the same town or from the same you know, neighboring areas, and the other one is going to be like the churches. That's where you're going to find, and it's not necessarily even providing services, uh, because oftentimes, like, you know, a lot of churches don't have money, but they certainly know where to connect people, and you know other people that can help you, uh, or at least, you know, provide the, provide you some human contact. I, I think that these are things that it's really hard to take into consideration in the polls. And the Daniel, the Daniel Cox article did a good job of referencing this when they had that quote that I mentioned earlier where they talk about how there are support systems and the families and organizations that are religious and will deny participation and resources to non-religious individuals. And I mean... It's, it's the one thing to think that polling could be more true because of this, but the reality is that people are afraid. One of the things that I have to wonder is, I have to wonder if when people were filling out these polls, there were other people with them that they were talking to, that they were showing their results. And I don't think that that probably happened enough that it would actually have a statistical impact. But I do have to wonder how many families and communities filled these things out together. Yeah, I don't know that, man. That's very hard to control for. Uh, but I think these were online, so unless you have, like, some newbie uh, parent or sibling or spouse, uh, uh, you probably did it by yourself. Uh, That's true. But also, I, I think it, it's also important that, you know, there's some real effects on... Actually, Dan mentions in his article the... Uh, I. Actually, no, sorry. In the article, there is... Uh, in the actual piece of scholarship, the, the, the main article we're talking, the Gervais article, he actually quotes a, a, a piece that Dan, Robbie Jones, and I co-authored on church attendance, and it was that in, in phone surveys, actually people over-report uh, their attendance, and we actually had two similar samples in the same year where we had the online uh, an online survey and a phone survey, and basically all people overreported their church attendance in the online and in, in talking to another person because they want to sound like they're good people and so you know you, you have that social desirability bias is what it's called in social science um, but even more uh, I, I not I think I mentioned this in another show that my colleague former colleague Ariela Kesar uh, did research with the American Time Use Survey. Uh, looking at, you know, the activities that people do. And she basically looked at Sundays and what people kind of activities do on Sundays. And very few people do any kind of church-related activity. This is using diaries. So the American Time Use surveys, people fill out these diaries uh, for a particular numbers of days, and then uh, you, you can organize the data by day of the week and see what type of uh, activities they're doing. This being a government survey doesn't ask about religion, so we don't really know what 
religion people identify with, but what we do really know is that people don't do stuff on Sundays. Uh, well, they do a lot of stuff. They watch football. Uh, they sleep a lot. Uh, they do work, uh, but they certainly don't do a lot of release activities. And, it, and, and in that analysis, we actually define religious activities very broadly. Even even that way, it, it, you know, uh, it was much less than people reporting surveys. That's not surprising at all. I have to wonder, when did you, uh, you mentioned the piece that you co-authored. When did you co-author that? Because I remember, I remember reading about that, I think, before we met. So I left Peter around 2014. That was probably published somewhere in 2015. Uh, I'm because, of course, sure you know, there's I, a lag. I think I read it. I'm not entirely sure, but I remember I was starting to get involved in activism in 2015, and my activism really kicked off in 2016. But I do remember reading that around that time, and it was before I had even heard of Latinan or anything. So that's interesting. Oh, that's really cool to know. Uh, but I think we should get wrapping up, and, and I think one of the you know, I think you, I'm going to link to the to both of the pieces that discuss the study and the study itself. I think it's a, you know it's a really interesting. You know, I'm really glad that we had these conversation, not just about the stigma uh, against atheists, but in terms of you know closing with these thoughts on on basically how, how people basically lie about their religiosity because you know, it's not just that there is a stigma against, against atheism, there is a bias in favor of religion. There's, a, you know, there's this assumption that being religious is good. And so I think those fight against, you know, they, they, those, those compete with each other and leads to these awful, to some extent, like numbers of, people who are willing to admit atheism. I think that this conversation and other conversations like it that are taking place in the wake of these two pieces of scholarship are going to be very interesting. And I really like the conversation that we have. I can't wait to see what conversations other people have. I would really like to know what people think of this particular topic. I also, I also want to know what people think specifically of this idea should we be calling people who are non-believers atheists, even if that's what they are by definition? Because, as I mentioned before, I'm not really a fan of calling someone who claims to be a non-believer but doesn't say that they're an atheist. I'm not a fan of calling that person an atheist, but I know that other people might disagree with me. Dave Silverman certainly disagrees with you. But thank you for listening. Thank you, Luciano, for this conversation. Remember, Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, your favorite app. Like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. And we'll certainly not see you, but we'll talk to you next time. Hopefully you'll hear us. This was Juana Rivera. And this was Luciana Gonzalez.